Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You know, when you look at the amount of tickets that are written, the majority of the tickets are written in the black and brown community. Now, that's a problem. Then, then you look at, you know, Alderman Smith's ward up, up north. She doesn't have any cameras in her ward. So there are a couple of white Alderman uh, wards up north that don't even have cameras. So is that, you know, is that parity? Is that being fair across the city? No. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. With me is Alderman Tony Beal who was involved in the, shall we say, what, dust-up, controversy, uh, (laughs) whatever it was on the floor of the city council this week. Thanks for joining us, Tony. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, let's go to the beginning of this whole uh, controversy. Mm -hmm. When Mayor Rahm Emanuel put in speed cameras... In 2012, I remember it being a big controversy in Chicago. A lot of aldermen did not want it. They thought it was a cash grab at the time. You Mm -hmm. spoke up in favor of speed cameras. What changed for you? Now you want to raise the threshold. What happened? Well, let me just say, I've never said that I was was opposed to speed cameras. I do believe that speed cameras, uh, you know, pose some type of uh, safety in the community as far as to try to regulate and curb uh, people's behavior as far as, um, you know, their driving. And so I'm not opposed to speed cameras at all. Uh, But, you know, since 2012, and you look at the data and you look at everything that transformed, and you look at the amount of money that it is generating and the safety issue doesn't support the amount of money that it's generating. And so something is fundamentally wrong with the system. And so all I'm trying to do is, is, you know, turn back a, a very bad administrative move to, to decrease the speed to six miles an hour to generate millions and millions of dollars of revenue. Uh, I think it was 59 million in just 10 months alone it has generated. And, you know, that doesn't tell me that it's anything other than a money grab. And the numbers are still going up and people's behavior are not changing. So the argument that it's about public safety is counterproductive when you look at the, uh, the amount of money that is generated. We should point out that Mayor Emanuel had the ability to do what Lori Lightfoot did in her pandemic ravaged budget uh, last March 2021, and that is to collect tickets at the level of six 
and not between six and nine miles an hour over the speed limit. He did not do that. I remember this being a controversy at the time, and that's why the 10 miles an hour was at the reduced level of 35. That was a concession that he made because a lot of people mm -hmm. thought it was a cash grab then. And so he agreed to give people a little bit of grace and 10 miles an hour over was going to be 35 to break people in. And then a hundred dollars for everything 11 and over. Now the mayor rolled this back and did what Rahm Emanuel didn't do, but she did it administratively. She put it in her budget as part of a fine and fee package to generate more money when she was scrounging around for money everywhere when the city budget was ravaged before there was stimulus money. And now, and ever since March, there has been this six to nine mile an hour uh, group of people, a large group of people, who have gotten these $35 tickets. What's wrong with that, Tony, at a time when you cannot argue that people are driving like maniacs? I mean, this, the streets, when they were empty, people started going crazy. And they thought, oh, good, I can speed, and there they are. So, so why shouldn't we have more safety measures at a time when people are driving more recklessly? Well, I think we need to look at the entire picture. And right now, uh, you know, the data still does not show that it's curbing people's behavior when the amount of tickets are um, have tr over tripled and the amount of revenue that has tripled. Uh, but our streets are no safer than they were beforehand. And so when you look at it, you know, this was just done under the auspices of you know, um, you know, public safety when it's definitely just not the case. And so I think what we need to do is have a comprehensive uh, discussion about safety in the entire city and then put those speed cameras strategically where we are having these these problems versus just putting them in the areas where you can just maximize the amount of revenue. And so, you know, you heard some of my colleagues say that they want speed cameras in their area. And, and, you know, it's also troubling that, you know, there's, a, um, you know, when you look at the amount of tickets that are written, the majority of the tickets are written in the black and brown community. Now, that's a problem. Then, then you look at, you know, Alderman Smith's ward up, up north. She doesn't have any cameras in her ward. So there are a couple of white Alderman uh, wards up north that don't even have cameras. So is that, you know, is that parity? Is that being fair across the city? No, you're unfairly penalizing people of color. You realize, of course, that, that we've had 174 fatalities. We've had three children mowed down on the streets of Chicago just in the last few weeks. Have you looked to see whether there's any correlation between where these speed cameras are and where these horrible accidents are occurring? Yes, we have. And when you look at the amount of accidents that have happened in the city, the 174 or so, not one of them, not one was around any of these speed cameras. And so the data that they're putting out is citywide um, and not just around the speed camera. So if they will be truthful and say, you know, are these speed cameras being um, effective? The answer is no, because the, the numbers they're giving you is citywide. And they're trying to say, well, if you change it, it's, it's going to increase. That's not the case because nobody are being injured around the speed cameras. So that's that that's your problem right there.
So you won a vote this week in the finance committee. You finally got the vote you wanted after much stalling and many, many delays. And when it finally happened after uh, Scott Wagesbeck, the chairman of finance, reconvened at 10 o'clock on Tuesday and then put it off again until 3 o'clock in the, in the afternoon, thinking maybe he'd have more time for arm, arm twisting, the mayor's people would, or at least maybe a lesser chance of a quorum. You had your colleagues who are all running for re-election, most of them anyway, uh, show up and the vote was 16 to 15 in favor of of going back to the old threshold of 10 miles an hour. And then what happened Wednesday was another parliamentary maneuver where the mayor's forces used a tactic. Any two aldermen can defer and publish, meaning delay a matter for no reason until the next meeting. They did that. What was wrong with what they did here? Well, first of all, I've never in my 23 years of being an elected official seen any deferring publish of one item twice. And so they basically created their own narrative and deferred and published this item twice when, you know, you can't defer one item twice, but they came up with this new rule that it was in a new committee, but it was the same item. And so, you know, again, you know, this administration continues to, you know, change the rules and manipulate the rules as they see fit to fit their narrative. And that's part of the problem. And that's why I've been fighting for us to have our own legal department, our own parliamentarian, so we can get a, our own understanding of the rules, because I think it's, it's, it's really a conflict of interest for the parliamentarian to, you know, give us the rules and say what the rules are, but yet they, they work at the behest of the mayor. That, that's a conflict of interest. The same way with the law department. That's a conflict of interest. You can't be our legal represent, representative, but you're appointed by the mayor. And so that's why I've been fighting, you know, for these really two big issues that can really show some independence here in the city of Chicago. And the mayor continues to rule from the chair in her favor, of course. Well, absolutely. And so why is it that your colleagues don't see the need for this you're like this lone wolf crusader you're well, crying well, out is, in the wilderness here and nobody's backing you i mean they well, did on is, this but they're not backing you on the on the legislative council or they seem to keep delaying that too well you know unfortunately here in the city of chicago the aldermen have been so used to having a strong mayor uh, and not understanding that our system is set up to have a strong council, weak mayor. And so you know, we're the ones that are supposed to be governing. I think Chicago is the last big city in the country that where the mayor still presides over our meetings. Um, you know, they don't do it in Springfield. They don't do it, you know, in Washington. Uh, you know, so this is the city of Chicago is the last big city that has a mayor presiding over the meetings. And so we need to change how our city is, is governed. We need to change how our city is ran because it's a reason why we have the amount of crime we have, why we have the amount of, um, you know, looting and, and stores and businesses leaving the city of Chicago. It's because of how our city is operating. And so we need to change it. We need to understand that if we're going to, you know, turn our city around, we have to first get a hold of the crime that's really plaguing our community. Just last night up north on the beach, they, you know, had another uh, big blow up. 
and businesses are saying, why should I come to Chicago? And we have to change that narrative. If we're going to grow as a city, we have to make sure that crime is, is under control, number one. And number two, that we're able and have the capacity to bring big businesses back in the city of Chicago and bring smaller businesses back into the communities. And so right now, what you're seeing is totally the opposite. And, you know, we need to change that narrative. I had uh, former Inspector General Joe Ferguson on my show a couple of weeks ago, and you sound like him. He is now beginning a nonprofit venture where he is, it's called Reimagine Illinois. And basically what he's he's doing with this foundation that's going to be privately funded and foundation funded is to look at the structure of our government in Chicago and why is it, he says that you can write the same story every two years or so, uh, same crisis every two years or so because the structure of our government has not been looked at in decades. Every mm, other city, absolutely. he says, every other major city looks at this on a routine basis and mm-hmm. has the ability to change the structure of government. He talks about the city council not being the counterbalance that it should be, the watchdog that it needs to be to ride herd over these programs and to be a counterbalance to the mayor who has way, way, way too much power, he says. And so what do you think needs to change here in the city council? Well, again, I think the entire structure of the city council and our government does need to change. And, uh, you know, How? I'm glad. I'm How in, would you I, like I, to change I, Well, let me, just, let me just say I'm glad I'm in great company with Joe Ferguson because, you know, um, you know, we, we see the same problems. I see it from the inside and he's seeing it from the outside. And so uh, we're seeing the exact same problem. But, yes, we need to change our, our committee structures, how our committees are set up. You know, everybody hires their friends and families um, when it comes to these committees. And, you know, we need to change that. We need to have a, a true speaker of the city. Uh, to where, you know, the speaker presides over the city council and, and not the mayor. And, uh, you know, you don't see the governor presiding over Springfield, uh, over the General Assembly. No, they have a speaker of the house. And so we need to change our structure and look at it. And so, you know, I think, uh, you know, we really need to look at it and we need to scrub how this city is functioning from one end of the other. And, and yes, the mayor can do whatever they want to do when they want to do it. And you see it every day. The mayor's coming up with new programs and just rolling them out. Where's all this money coming from? If there's that kind of money in, in the couch in the city government, we need to be able to turn that couch upside down and see what else is in it to, to find out if there's more money for more programs. There are things that we need in our wards, great programs. You, you remember the cop house. I'm still fighting the city on getting the cop house, you know, here in my ward. So there's a lot of great programs, a lot of great initiatives that we need to bring to this city that I think can change how this city is, is moving forward. Because right now we're, we're not moving forward. We're, we're, we're actually going backwards with our crime numbers, with our job numbers, our education numbers and our police numbers. I mean, I can go on and on. So we need to change the narrative. But the only way you do it, you're going to have to flip this city upside down and start anew with how this government operates. Well, let's talk about what would you change if you could flip the well, city the first, upside down? Well, the first thing I, you know, we would look at is, again, I, I mentioned the committee structures. The committee structures need to, need to change on you know, how we need to have experts in these fields that know what's going on in these different zoning departments and the, the building departments and the uh, you know, special events department. 
We need experts in these fields. You know, putting some people in, the, in these positions that have no clue about what they're doing is, I think, a disservice to the city of Chicago. And so <clears throat> we need to look at, again, you know, how we actually conduct our, our business of the city council. There's no reason why, you know, I'm fighting for an ordinance for over a year without it even being heard. If people don't like it, shoot it down, vote it down uh, or vote it up. But to basically say, you, you, you know, we're not even going to hear this and we're going to throw all our resources to make sure that the voice of an elected official is not even heard. That's not a uh, democracy. That's a dictatorship. And that's what's been happening in this city. We are right now under a huge dictatorship on how this city is being ran. And you see where that's getting us. It's getting us with high crime. It's getting us with low um, uh, businesses uh, coming into the city, businesses leaving this city. Um, you know, so I can go on and on, friend. We have a huge problem that it, it, it needs to change and it needs to change fast. It sounds like you're asking your colleagues to grow a spine. <laughs> well, well, you know what? I'm not I'm not going to say that. I'll let you say that. But, well, what uh, are you would... saying? Because I can only imagine what your <laughs> talks with them, you know, in these meetings with the Black Caucus, for example, what do you say to them when they don't back you on these things? Well, I tell them they're hurting our people. They're hurting our community. And it's a reason why our communities look like they look. It's a reason why we have the highest crime in our area, why you know we have the shootings in our area, we have the uh, least of jobs in our area. Because when you follow and just go along to get along, you get nothing, okay? You have to fight. You have to fight for your community. You have to fight for your people. That's what you are duly elected to do. And if you don't fight for your people and then you forget how you got to where you are in the city council to be a representative, that's a problem. When you become <clears throat> more beholden to the mayor than you are your constituents, that's a problem. And so we have to make sure that uh, people understand that, you know, we're out here, we're fighting for our communities, we're fighting for resources. But until we stand up and understand that, you know, uh, let me get back to the cannabis. You know, we didn't, I didn't even talk about that. You know, the majority of the Black Caucus voted for cannabis. There's not one cannabis owner operator in the city of Chicago. And we're in almost four years later. And I told the Black Caucus, I said, don't vote for this cannabis piece because there's nothing in it for our community. We, who was more affected by the war on drugs than any other ethnicity, any other racial group, it was us. But we voted for it and we are getting nothing out of it. That's a problem, friend. That is a huge problem. So we, if we're going to start moving our communities forward, we have to start fighting for what we believe in and stop bowing down to whoever the mayor is just because they're the mayor, but they're not delivering for our communities. Well, and then you had Alderman Emma Mitz, the license committee chairman, telling me that she would stand with Mayor Lightfoot for re-election because why? She's in the seat, and until she's no longer in the seat, she stays with the mayor. She stays with the person who's in that seat, no matter who they are. That's what she's always done. That's her ethic. Well, again, you know, we had a very bad president uh, in Trump. And if people had that kind of mentality that I'm going to support the person in the seat, we'd still be dealing with Donald Trump today. So we need to change that narrative. And yet this mayor once told the Black Caucus members that if they didn't vote for her budget, not this one, but the one last year, that they shouldn't ask her for blank when it comes to choosing capital projects. She literally threatened them. And yet, what happened to that? What should they have done and what did they do? Well, we should have totally pushed back like I did. 
and a couple of other my colleagues, we pushed back on on that. And, you know, because, you, you know, first of all, we're all elected and you have to respect us as being duly elected by our constituents. Just because you're the mayor, you can't say I'm not going to give your community resources if you don't support me or if you don't vote my way. That's not right. We're still entitled to resources, services and goods. And so, you know, again, that's why we need to change the whole narrative of this city, turn it upside down, start anew and on how the city is governed, where everybody gets resources from one end of the city to the other. And not just one person because you support me and you, you penalize the other person for not supporting you. So we need to change that. And it, we, I, I believe we're on the right track. I think we're starting that conversation and we're starting, um, you know, to have movements. And I think it's uh, you're going to see a new day in the city of Chicago. And I'm in it. What new day? What city. do you see? What 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 hopeful sign do you see? Well, I'm, I hope that we can turn this government upside down and, and put it on the right track. How? I mean, well, I don't a, see a lot of backbone coming from your colleagues so much. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you see that gives you hope that that's going to change? Well, I, I see an election in February of 2023. And what's going to happen there? I'm hoping that, you know, my colleagues start standing up and seeing that the people want change. People want a government that works from them from one end to the other and not just for a select few. So do you see the the alderman getting more more independent, more rambunctious, more uh, willing to stand up to this mayor as the election draws near? Or are you hoping to defeat her what 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 do you see happening do you see more independence coming before the election or only afterwards well I, i'm hoping that we see more independence and, and more leadership uh leading up to the election and i'm hoping that we have a, a definitely change in leadership in the fifth floor if we're going to turn the city around now the mayor after saying it was all about safety all about safety her People suddenly changed the narrative this week and admitted, well, yes, it is about revenue, too. And by the way, doing this, rolling it back, raising the threshold again to 10 miles an hour would cost the city $45 million. And where are we going to find that money? That would deprive the police department, safe passage safe passage workers, after school programs, infrastructure programs, all the money that is devoted by law from speed cameras to those purposes, those things that we cannot afford to lose money for, we would lose. Mm-hmm. What do you make well, of my, that argument? My argument to that is what were we doing before you changed the speed limit to six miles an hour and created all these resources, all this extra money? What were we doing before? Okay. And so I don't go for the sky is falling argument that, you know, if this changes, all these things are going to happen. When you look around, this administration is finding money every which way you look in order to fund these programs. We're giving away gas cars. We're giving away bicycles. We're giving away ring doorbells. We're giving away. These are all things that the the administration is doing to try to buy votes and using government money in order to do it. So if we can find money to do all these pet programs to try to buy the election, then we can find money to give the people relief going back and forth to work, dropping their kids off from daycare, just going to the grocery store. How about giving the people that kind of relief that's just going about their day to day business to make their days, you know, make their lives function. But yet 
we're hitting them upside the head with these tickets going and coming left and right. More tickets have been issued than we have residents in here in the city of Chicago. That's not right. That's not right. And we need to change it. When the mayor was asked, what is your plan B for this loss of $45 million in revenue? She flat out said she has no plan that will not happen. She's not going to let that happen. What does she mean by that? Does she mean she's going to twist arms and round up the votes by July 20th when this thing is going to be voted on? Or does she mean she's got her veto pen in hand? Well, she's probably doing both. She's she's trying to uh, rash, rack up the votes to, to kill this proposal. That's number one. That's the first alternative. And then if it happens to pass, then I'm sure she'll veto it at the end of the day. And you can't get 34 votes, can you? I doubt if I'll be able to get 34 votes to overturn a veto. And so this thing is going to pass on July 20th, you think, or fail on July 20th with more arm twisting? I'm I'm, going to continue to push and educate, uh, you know, in order to get it passed. And then if if it passes, it'll be great. Um, And again, we have to cross that bridge of a mayoral veto when we get to it. And hopefully my colleagues see that, you know what? The majority of the city council voted for something and you know and some sometimes people are are mad enough to where if the administration does veto that they will say well you know what i'll override the veto because you know the majority of the council voted for this and that's you know that's again that's strengthening the city council what's going to happen to aldermen who dare to vote against this and do you think that they're going to face a backlash at the polls well i do believe that this is going to be a campaign issue uh, you know, because when you look at the people that are driving, I don't think you can talk to anybody who has not been hit with a red light camera ticket. I don't think across this city, just for going six miles an hour over the speed. You're line. not a red light ticket. You mean a speed camera ticket? A speed camera. Yes. I'm sorry. The speed, the speed camera. I don't think you can talk to anybody in this city who drives on a day to day basis who has not received one of these tickets just for going six miles an hour. And so, you know, I, I do believe people are tired of it. They're tired of being nickel and dimed. And again, I think more more importantly, this administration campaigned on not balancing the backs on the people that that can least afford it. They campaigned on, you know, reducing fines and fees. But yet you've done just the opposite and you've done just the opposite on steroids. And so it it is just amazing to me how people can say one thing and do another. And, and, you know, hit the people upside the head constantly with these be like uh, with these red light tickets. Well, she has done certain things uh, to stop towing for certain administrative offenses, like uh, having an invalid city sticker or something like that. She's done she's done a lot of things with payment plans and some things to break what she calls the addiction to revenues from fines and fees. But on the other hand, this is something that really does go right to those same people who she says were being so victimized and many of them going bankrupt because of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, the, the payment plan, that was a great idea. You know, I support that because a lot of times people don't have the revenue to, um, to pay these tickets, but at the same time, why are we hitting them with a six miles an hour over the speed limit ticket in the first place? We wouldn't need the payment plan if we if we weren't generating all these fines and fees. Uh, so we, I think we need to get to the root of the problem 
And, and the root of the problem is how this city is governed and how it is being operated. Uh, you look at the crime in the city, you look at the education, we've lost control of our schools, we've just lost control of the police department. You know, what's left? I, at the end of the day, I don't think we're going to have a mayor. I think we're going to have a city manager. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, the, the mayor, if, if we keep losing the things in this city, like, you know, we've lost control of, um, you know, the um, uh, education system, CPS. We've lost, we're losing control of the You're talking about the, the elected department. board, the 21 member elected, elected board. board. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, the only thing the mayor is going to be in, in charge of is streets and sanitation. And when you look at our city, our city is dirty. We have graffiti all over the place. You, you go through the loop every single day. You see graffiti all on the new construction that's going in every single day. Our lots, are, uh, the grass are, on our empty lots are two and three feet high because you know, we don't have adequate uh, weed cutters in our community. So we're suffering all across this city. And so if we're going to get people to start standing up and believing in the city, we got to clean it up. We got to um, you know, clean the crime up. We're going to have to make sure that businesses start coming into the city and we start employing people. We, you know, bring opportunities back into the city. We start doing all those things. And now you will, you will see the city start growing again. And then we can start beautifying it once again, because we do have a great city. But right when, now we have a city that's sick. When when you and Lopez didn't get your way, when the mayor ruled the way she did from the chair and did not allow the roll call vote on this uh, speed camera threshold, you and Lopez joined forces and deferred every single item on the finance committee agenda. The mayor called that childish petty politics. Uh, her allies were rolling their eyes and, and saying they were embarrassed by that. What do you say to that? Why'd you do it? Well, I would say look in the mirror and see who deferred and published anything first. And it was the mayor and her allies. They're the ones that deferred and published this item. And all we did was defend ourselves from you know, a dictator instead of not allowing democracy to take place. Tit for tat, eye for an eye. Absolutely. And you believe that Lori Lightfoot will be defeated in February. Is that what you think? Or do you think she makes the runoff and then gets defeated? Or do you think she can squeak in somehow? Well, I, you know what? I, I, I'm looking at the poll numbers. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm a very strategic, um, you know, uh, politician. And I've been around for a little while. And when I saw... Rahm Emanuel pulled the plug with his poll numbers with $20 million in the bank, and he did not have a path of victory, and his poll numbers were twice as good as hers. Um, I, I, it would be very difficult for me to believe at the end of the day that um, this mayor can recover from the low poll numbers that are taking place. She's at 25% now, according to every poll that's been done, including the most recent ones for Brian Hopkins and for Pat Quinn. And at some point in this election cycle, whether it's the first round or the second, she has to get 50% plus one. Where is that mm -hmm. vote going to come from? Is there any way that she has a path to 50%? Well, I, I, I don't see it um, again, but uh, I've seen stranger things. But right now, based on the history that I've seen in this city and in this country, poll numbers in the 20s does not give you a pathway to victory. 
So who beats her? Is it a, is it an election about not her and who cares who the other person is? Or, I mean, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's still early. We still have a few months before petitions hit the street. I'm sure you're going to see some more people uh, throw their name out there. Like who? Um, you know, like who? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm hearing all kind of names. I'm hearing LaShawn Ford maybe throwing it. I'm hearing Judy Freeland maybe throw her name out there. And Bridget Gaynor may throw her name out there. And, you know, I'm hearing, uh, you know, uh, Sophia King may throw her name out there. So there are going to be at least eight to ten more people, I believe, that will announce that they're running for mayor. Eight to ten more. I mean, we've seen... A couple of heavyweights, Mike Quigley, Arnie Duncan, taking a pass, even though both of them had polling that showed they had a pass to victory against Lori Lightfoot. Mm -hmm. Why did they take a pass? Why did those heavyweight candidates that the business community might have backed, why did they take a pass? Well, I think when you look at a person like Arnie Duncan, who I have the utmost respect for, uh, you know, he's never been elected. Uh, You know, he's always been a great person that uh, you can put in, um, in, in as a cabinet member and he's done a phenomenal job in those roles and a lot of times you know you know when you look at what he's doing in the community with his program he's he is having results with uh, with his program called cred he's working in my community they're spending about 10 million dollars a year uh, in my community to help fight violence you know, I just believe sometimes when you when a person has a passion and a desire and are starting to have positive results, why would you abandon that when you, you can continue to move forward? Now, if we if, if Cred had a partner in the police department and the fifth floor, they can start doing a lot more. So we do have violent intervention programs, violent interrupter programs out here, but they're not being embraced. They're not being funded. I think that is a key piece that we need to take a look at. You know, as well as beef up our police numbers, you can't do, you know, you just can't do one or the other. You have to do them both. You have to do this violence in, uh, intervention um, program and then beef up our police numbers and do both of those and attack our communities from both ends. That's how you combat violence in the area. And you bring programs along with it. You bring all the city programs, you bring all the non for profits together and you bring them into the community and you give people alternatives. You give them hope. You give them you know, uh, 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 another way to look at, you know, hanging out on the street, selling drugs, being involved in gangs. There's an alternative and there's a positive alternative. Those are the things that we need to start looking at. Bring all those resources in order to um, combat crime here in the city of Chicago. And I think that's why at the end of the day, you know, Arnie decided not to do it because he has a passion for what he's doing. And I think he's showing results. When Quigley took a pass, too, on the heels of Duncan doing the same, I wrote an analysis piece questioning what the reason was. And I raised two possibilities. One is that the powers of the mayor's office are or will be greatly diminished by the elected school board, the civilian police review, the empowered Chicago Teachers Union, uh, and the the soon loss of stimulus money that has been piled on Mayor Lightfoot's door and those kinds of things, plus the very vexing problems that Chicago faces, including the crime, et cetera, um, and the public schools and the finances that really have not been solved. The pension issue of $33 billion, which were really not that much farther along the road. We still don't have funding sources. We have 
the casino for police and fire, but a lot of people don't think it's going to deliver the 200 million that she needs it to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think is the reason why these two heavyweights took a pass, both of them? Is it some of the reasons I said? Is it the vexing problems? Is it the diminished powers? Is it both? Is it the fact that it's a lousy job with given those circumstances? <laughs> well, the power is, of the mayor is definitely being diminished by the things that you just articulated. Uh, and then when you look at Quigley, you know, uh, you know, Quigley, I think, is looking at um, the White House possibly flipping in and, and he will be in a very good leadership position to be able to deliver more services and goods to the, the people here in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. And so, you know, a lot of times when you abandon that to come and, and try to tackle all the things that you just said, you have to start weighing, you know, where am I best utilized? And I think quickly uh, weighted as far as he, I think he'll be best utilized by holding tight and trying to um, make sure that we have control of the Senate and the House, in uh, the Senate and, and yeah, and the House in in Washington, to where he can deliver more services and goods. He's I think he will be more effective there. And I, I think I just articulated why Arnie Duncan um, decided to take a path. I think he's saying I can be more effective there. I mean, his his program is getting about fifty million dollars a year to tackle problems in our community, and he's hiring people who have made mistakes and have you know paid their debt to society and are trying to you know really just talk to the people about not going into the the gangs and not taking a life of crime and you know i think it's being effective so if you're going to reach the heart you have to speak from the heart and i think that's what his organization is doing but it takes hundreds and hundreds more millions to take his programs to scale and he doesn't all of all the program not just he is just all the programs and so, you know, I mean, that's why we need to make sure that whoever is in the seat in the fifth floor, that we are looking at this thing from a comprehensive standpoint. And you, when you look at, you know, even this administration, how many people have they lost who were their liaison to, for public safety? I think they've lost three or four people. Yeah. You can't keep a person in that particular job. Because so, why? Yeah. Because Lori Lightfoot is difficult to work for or what? Well, you know, I'll let you say it, but no. You know, what um, is the yeah. reason? What do you think the revolving <laughs> door is? I think it's a combination. I, I think it's a combination. When you look at the total um, turnover of personnel within this administration, I think really pulls, uh, um, you know, on her leadership and her ability to work with others and, you know, to play well in the sandbox, so to speak. You know, you have to be able to build a coalition, and this administration has never tried to build a coalition. You know, they've been operating off of fear by threatening people, threatening the alderman. You don't vote for my um, my my budget. Don't ask me for blank. You know, that's no way to govern. How about pick up the phone and say, hey, you know what? How can I be of assistance to you and what you can do in your community to make your community a better place? If your ward is better, the city is better. Let's work together in order to make that happen. We may not always agree. We may not always disagree. But we do have a common goal, and that's to make sure that your ward and this city is moving forward. And you're not getting that camaraderie. You're not getting that working togetherness. So, you know, you're getting combativeness. You're getting dictatorship. And I think that's why you see the city struggling to move forward. What's happening with your cop house? Where is that? What are they doing to stop it, even though it passed the city council? It passed city council. And I I will tell you, we're not getting any support from the Chicago Police Department. Uh, in, in order to make that happen, but it will be open with or without the police department this sometime this fall. 
what are they doing to block it and how are you getting around it? Well, it's not a matter of them blocking it. They're just not, they're not helping it. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you know, they're not being supportive of it. And, uh, you know, my commander was in support of it. The people in the community are in support of it. But uh, we don't get the city's um, backing, the city's resources to come with it. Then, you know, we'll, we'll just do it without the city. And before we let you go, who beats Lightfoot? Who's the next mayor of well, Chicago? Well, I think based on polling, it's going to be anybody but. You think it's going to be, it doesn't matter who, it's going to be whoever <laughs> gets her in the runoff? Based on the polling that I've seen, it's it's really leaning toward anybody but. And that means, does she make the runoff? I don't know. That's a good question. Okay, Tony Beal, thank you for joining us. And uh, we will watch with interest and anticipation on July 20th. We'll see what happens. And uh, either way, even if it passes, you say you don't have the votes for an override. Not right now, because when you look at 15 aldermen voted against it in committee. That's it. You know, if you need 34, yeah. you know, I, you're, you're pretty much can, uh, you know, the handwriting's on the wall. Okay. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>